Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. What is up, my friend, and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. This is your host, founder of EnhancedYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and today I'm going to be talking with co-founder, publisher, and business operations manager of Antioch Magazine, Scott Long. Scott and his partner, Chris, worked together at the St. Petersburg's Times, which is Florida's largest newspaper publication. In 2008, when they were told a project they were both passionate about wasn't going to get the funding they thought it deserved, They decided to quit their good-paying jobs and risk it all by going out on their own. Shortly after, Anteup Magazine was born and they haven't looked back since. Anteup is a unique poker magazine aimed squarely at the recreational player. Rather than just covering the big tournaments and pros, Anteup gives recreational players real and relevant information about the games they play. From getting more out of weekend home games to finding the best places for organized amateur games, Anteup caters to the vast majority of poker players who aren't professionals. Over the years, Anteup has spawned several other features and events that have taken things farther than Scott ever thought he would go. Anteup publishes a weekly podcast hosted by Scott and Chris, runs regular poker cruises, and even hosts their own poker tour. Scott has proven to be one of the most influential poker ambassadors in the industry. His views from inside and outside the game, and especially within the recreational player community, give him great insights into the game, how it's played, and the real people who play it. As we talk today, Scott will share how and why he and his partner decided to create Antiup, what it was like in the beginning, and why they're still around when so much of their competition has disappeared. He talks about the dangers of making too many assumptions and how he deals with failures. You'll also hear what he values the most and what to him embodies poker greatness. He'll speak on the importance of adapting as you grow, why they call him the short stack ninja, and the concept of card destiny. So without any further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Scott Long. Scott, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you, Brad? I'm doing very well, full of energy, ready to get this show on the road, have a lot of questions after you know doing my research and just things that I want to know. And I feel like my audience wants to know as well, or at least I hope. <laughs> if not, they, they, they just tuned out. Um, <laughs> so before starting Anti-Up, magazine. You had a long and distinguished career in journalism, but still creating a poker magazine seems like a very daunting challenge. Let's kick things off by you telling us your why behind creating Antioch Magazine. Yeah, sure. It's actually kind of a story that most people uh, told me they found pretty interesting. Um, my uh, business partner, uh, Chris Kisenz, and I were editors at the uh, what was then called the St. Petersburg Times, a newspaper here in Florida, in 2005, um, more than 14 years ago, we're so old. The newspaper hired a, um, an intern who was very tech-savvy and encouraged the newspaper to start exploring podcast, podcasting. 
Now, uh, these days, everybody knows what a podcast is. Almost everybody has their own podcast. But 14 years ago, it was a pretty <clears throat> pretty brand new thing. So we were kind of on the cutting edge of that. So Chris uh, volunteered us to um, to do a poker podcast. And uh, within the first month or so of some really, really horrible episodes, we ended up getting uh, emails from folks around the world. And we're like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then kept at it for a while, and uh, we really turned the show into something pretty good, we think. Uh, you know, segments, yes, we got our act together. And three years later, we went to our bosses and said, hey, we, th- we think there's something here. Why don't you just put some more resources in it? And they're like, no, we need to focus on the newspaper. So we uh, quit. <laughs> Going. Um, couldn't make enough money, obviously, off the podcast. But uh, what we did notice was that at the time, uh, none of the poker magazines out there were covering Florida poker. And we had probably 30-some poker rooms back then. And the reason they weren't covering it was because of our really, really horrible laws here at Corning Poker. You could only, the max bet in poker back then was $2. So if you can imagine what the games were like back back then. So I, but, I remember uh, those days. I think the very first time I played live poker was at the uh, Daytona racetrack it was two dollars two dollar poker on every street yeah um going going back to that conversation with your boss how were you feeling what were you thinking when he told you that he wasn't going to invest the resources that you asked for yeah i think we, we we knew that was probably a possibility obviously we were disappointed you know at that point i kind of i i was able to see the writing on the wall and knew the newspaper industry was close to falling off a cliff and that they needed to kind of reinvent themselves with new technology and i thought this was um a good way of doing it but it's also a very traditional newspaper there so i knew that they're not big on taking chances sure so, uh, i wasn't surprised um but at that point we were so amped up <laughs> and we knew we had something here that's when we we knew we had to figure something out so that's um start doing our research and thought we the magazine would make uh, make sense covering Florida poker and um it turned out it it did um it was hard at the beginning but it turned out it did so uh, i'm sure it's very difficult in the beginning as pretty much everything is i think uh were either of y'all married at the time both yeah um what'd your wives yeah. think about yeah those were those were tough conversations to have <laughs> um uh, I can't speak to Chris's conversation with his wife. I, I don't really remember how that went now, but I, I can guess. But but I definitely remember how mine went with my wife. Uh, my wife is very smart, very intelligent, uh, probably a little less of a dreamer than I am. So, But she's the one that kind of brings me back down to earth when I need to be brought down to earth. <laughs> and um, she had a lot of really, really, really good questions that, that day and made me hey, and Chris go back and kind of really – do a little bit more research, dig around, make sure that uh, we had the answers that she was comfortable with, and, and ultimately she was. So um, I would certainly appreciate having supportive wives. Um, I don't think you can do this without it. You know, uh, part of me is envious of, of people that are that make these decisions younger in life when they're not attached. That no, no spouses, no kids, no bills, really, and that uh, it's a much easier challenge. But uh, you know, when you, you've been married fifteen some years or however long it's been at that point and uh, had a mortgage and all that kind of stuff to um, to quit a, a decent paying job and, and start a somewhat crazy idea. Um, you need that support at home. So we're very happy that both of our wives ultimately were supportive of it. How long did it take y'all to you know, replace that income with Annie Up Magazine? Oh, wow. Um, I would say it was probably a good year, year and a half before we took our first real paycheck. You know, that's got to be a tough year. 
Yeah, we were we were taking some money out. Uh, we were able to take some money out to kind of you know pay back what we invested in the company, but but an actual paycheck was probably a good year and a half. So again, I mean, it's helpful to have uh, that support at home. You know, we had to lean on both the spouses at that time and savings, and had to uh, dial back our spending and fun and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes, that was made a little thing. easier by the um, the amount of time that we had to put in to get the business going. I'm like, I, I think back to those days, and I, I don't remember how I even had time to go out for dinner back then. So, so that helped a little bit. We weren't spending as much, but uh, yeah, it was, um, it was lean. <laughs> no lying. Any, any time y'all wanted to quit, give up the dream? No, I don't think we ever wanted to quit. Um, I think we, you know, anytime you do an endeavor like this, no matter how much research you put in and, and time. And I think we did a lot of research and put, asked all the right questions and, uh, and had um, what we thought a good plan. Um, but once we started, we realized a lot of the, the research we did was based on um, bad information. So what do you mean by that? You know, just things that we, you know, we, we did the, the calculations on revenue, but then we found out that, uh, I'll give you a simple one, you know, uh, no one pays rack rates for advertising. <laughs> we didn't know that. We just... Uh, you know, we, we assume we, you know, you go to Walmart and you want to buy a tube of toothpaste <laughs> and it says $3 on it. You walk up and you pay $3 for it, right? Exactly. Um, it's yeah. different in the media world. The media world, uh, there's a lot of negotiations and deals and, and things like that. So a lot of our um, projections were based on, on rates that were ultimately proved uh, not to be reliable. Um, not Non-existent. So basically what you're saying is that for me as an entrepreneur, never – Never go to somebody and just pay the rate. <laughs> so always <laughs> enter into a negotiation. I wouldn't say that. I, I would always uh, say um, ask, uh, negotiate a little bit. Uh, um, you know, once we've gotten established, then we're um, we, we've been able to uh, be a little more firm in, in our pricing. But uh, when you when you're starting out and you're new, you know, people want to take a chance on you, and, and um, it did take us a while for us to realize that. Yeah, I hate to say swallow your pride because that's that's a little more dramatic than it is. But to um, to understand that uh, you got to get somewhere before you can start being picky and choosy. And uh, I'm on the entrepreneurship advisory board for my um, my alma mater, and so one of the things I tell the students there and other people is that uh, one of the biggest things you're going to learn in business is that no one, not even your mom, is going to love your product as much as you do. So once you get past that and, and you're, you're able to understand that and, and accept it, then you're able to make some of the decisions with your business that you need to to, to get it off the ground. And and as far as brand ambassadors, you're the man, right? You're the guy. You got to talk about it. I, I think that's something, a mistake that I see a lot of people make is like they're shy or bashful about their thing, but nobody Nobody will love your thing as much as you do. Right. That's just the facts of life. Yeah. So it's two things. I mean, one, you have to have that passion. I mean, you, if you're right, yeah, you can't you can't sell your product if you don't believe in it and you're not, you know, making it sound great. At the same time, uh, like I said, you also have to be realistic about what what people's reaction to it is. You know, one of the tougher things for us, I think, is that we there there are a lot of scenarios where we know our product can really help a poker room or um, a casino. And and our product more than other ones are using can help it, but so and if we don't get that that sale, then it's frustrating because we feel like we we don't understand why that is. But uh, but there's so many reasons and decisions that go into how people spend their money and everything, right? So um, it's not always based on um, what's logical. So and, and it's a good feeling though, 
I would say, to be so passionate about your product, to know that it can help a business and be disappointed when you miss a sale, right? You're not, oh, yeah. you're yeah. not sleazy, you're not scammy, you know it's going to add value and you're genu- genuinely disappointed because you missed a sale and you know that it could have been a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel a little bit of that in my own life. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning and growing in my own my own poker experience and entrepreneurial experience. So, year and a half in before you get a paycheck and you you can replace your income, what was the breakthrough? Wow, that's a good question. I, I think it was just um, you know it has to build. I, I don't think there was like one big. It wasn't like we signed one big huge client that at that point that that made all the difference. I think it was just. A slow build. I think that's kind of the other thing that I think people kind of lose track of when uh, when the review of entrepreneurship is watching Shark Tank. You know, you you don't always get that 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 big big sale, that big investor that that makes it work. Sometimes it's just um, grinding every day. Were y'all self funded? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We both uh, were the only two investors ever. So we, in fact, actually we we made a, <clears throat> a pretty conscious decision that we. I didn't want to seek out investors, even as we grew, you know, we had people um, casually mention that they might be interested in doing that, but we made a pretty um, conscious decision that we'd worked for other people our entire lives and um, we're kind of happy now. Um, The only people we're working for are being our clients. So, and as soon as you take that money from someone as an investment or now you, you're working for them again. So, um, and, and you, you lose that complete control over your product and your and your company, and um, and I think what's interesting about that there were some companies that started at the same time we did, some that have uh, spectacularly flamed out, um, some that went on and <laughs> bluff <gobbled>. magazine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's some just... that got gobbled up by bigger people, um, and, and they uh, people started them are having a great life now, um, and we're somewhere in between, and I'm quite happy being somewhere in between, um, you know, versus flipping a coin, one of those other two options, you know, um, you know, sure. It'd be nice that uh, if somebody came in and gobbled us up and, uh, we're living in a big mansion now still doing this, but, uh, the risk of it being the other way, um, and, uh, you know, having to go back in the workforce and start all over, uh, I'd much rather that, that we, we did the slow and steady wins the race model. So, so yeah. I think that was what it was. It wasn't a big breakthrough. It just took that long to, to build up the, uh, the name and the brand and the business to, as they say, humans often greatly overestimate what they can get accomplished in a year and greatly underestimate what they can get accomplished in 10. Very, very true. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I just, even, even today, I'm like, I'm 47 now and we started this thing back when I was 36 and, um, you know, I wake up every day and I'm like, yeah, it's September 17th. It seems like I was just, uh, you know, trying to get a project done in time for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> like it's, it's September already. So things move quickly. Um, time moves quickly. Um, you know, there's 24 hours a day. They don't, I don't, I don't think they drag on anymore. <laughs> and so the more of the challenges keeping up with, with the demands of everything you need to. And so, you know, when you set like a goal out of, we need to do something in three months, that's difficult. I think <laughs> I guess. It is. Every, time, everything time that's control. important takes more than three months, it seems like, these days. So. And when you're setting goals and then reevaluating your goals, whatever your poker goals might be or just life goals in general, you often find there are hurdles. There are things that come up that you didn't anticipate that you have to deal with before you can get to the next thing. And I, I think that's always 
going to be the case. You guys, though, tell me, what would you say would be your greatest failure at Annie Up Magazine? Oh, boy. I used to have a really good answer for that. We, we've had some big ones. Well, again, I think probably the biggest one is what we already talked about is just, just making so many bad um, assumptions at the beginning. But we, we've tried a number of different products that haven't worked out. We've tried some that worked out great, like our Annie Up Poker Cruises was fantastic. Idea What's a failed our, product? We tried to do some, one example I can come up with, we tried to move out of, the, out of the poker market into the general gaming market where more of the revenue is. Um, and we were going to do some regional gaming guides. Uh, it was an idea I thought was a home run. A couple of years ago, um, our ad sales guy thought it was a home run. Um, we all did. And um, ultimately, we just couldn't, couldn't sell people on the concept. So uh, we didn't invest a lot of, we didn't lose a lot of money in it. We lost, uh, invested a lot of time that we lost in it. But, but then again, if you're not um, investing time in new ideas, you're never going to know whether they work out or not. So I never really considered them failures. I, I consider them uh, educations. You know, we learn from them and then sometimes we'll come back from things that didn't work out. And two years later, I'll come up with a new idea that I think might make it work. Um, or it can be combined with, another idea that didn't quite work out or didn't get off the ground um, and make it work. So, you know, as long as you understand, learn from the lessons of why it failed or why you think it might fail, um, it's never really a failure, I don't think. So I love that. I love that mindset. It, it resonates with me a lot and it can be applied to your poker game too. For, I always tell my audience, my guys, like try something out and if it works, then great. If you have a theory and you apply it and it works out, then great. You get to use it forever. If it doesn't work out and you get crushed, then you just prove the theory uh, wrong and you move on, but you learn something. With every failure, you always learn. And the only way to not have failures is to not try anything that is uh, risky or bold. So I, I very much su- suggest that people do fail. I mean, when you just look at the marketing aspect, most marketing fails. Your job is to find the marketing that succeeds and then double down on that. And you can't find that if you're not constantly experimenting, constantly testing, constantly iterating. Yeah, I love when um, we're very honest with, with potential clients. You know, our, our focus is really on poker rooms and casinos, but, you know, we do have over the years, we've had a number of people with poker products and training and classes and all kinds of stuff like that uh, come to us. And early on, we, we took whatever <laughs> dollar we could get, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But but the poker market has changed um, over the 11 years that we've been in business. And so we've kind of watched that change and, and, and kind of understood it in some ways better than other folks. Um, so, you know, uh, so then we get, you know, now when we get that occasional um, inquiry from somebody that just starting out where we were 11 years ago, right? And um, and I try to be as honest with them when, when they contact us. And I'm like, you know, I don't know whether we're your best, your, our, your best marketing partner. And I try to give them some tips on whether I think they should go for that. But some insist, some say, hey, you know, I, I want to try it out. And as long as their mentality is what you mentioned, it's like, you know, hey, I want to try everything and see how it works. And I'll go back to it. I have no problem uh, cashing that check. But, you know, I do have a problem taking uh, money from folks that, that I know just were not the right partner for them. That makes sense. It makes absolute sense. You're a good guy. And uh, not knowing too much about the origins of Annie Up Magazine and stuff like that, I get the sense that 
you know, you run the show with integrity, which is the most important thing, in my opinion, especially in the poker space. There's a lot of snake oil salesmen. There's a lot of BS, a lot of those, uh, those magazines, for instance, that no longer exist, a lot of lying to consumers and their advertise people that are advertising in them, that it's, it's very reassuring and makes me feel good hearing these things about Annie Up Magazine. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's really important to us to to be that way. So, like I said, probably more lucrative not to be that way. But not everything's about money, and and yeah. I think I think honestly, it's more lucrative to to act with integrity because it's sustainable. Yeah, it's the long game, right? So you're, you're I mean, playing the long game. Yeah, you know, um, you know, here we are, eleven years later, and we're still working at home, traveling the world, and you know, we're not rich, but we're we're able to the bills and do something we like and um it's because we didn't you know didn't go down that more aggressive route early on so you know I, i'm sure there's folks out there that look at us and say hey we're we've under realized our potential um and that's that's a fair question to ask and it might be my true but um but we feel good about where we are right now with with how we've um built our company and and what our values are that's awesome sir that's awesome let's switch gears for a second you know, the name of this show is Chasing Poker Greatness. And you've had the opportunity to report, speak to, interview, talk to a lot of the stars of the game. What would you say? What does poker greatness mean to you specifically? Poker greatness mean to me? Hmm. Probably, I, I, I think the answer, I mean, people hate this uh, when, you, when you talk about poker strategy. When, when people say it depends, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that's really the right answer, right? Because every poker player is different. Every poker player learns differently. Every poker player has skills that, that they can pull off that other poker players can't, you know, you don't want to t- take somebody who's naturally a passive person and try to make them aggressive poker player. That's not going to work. Right. So I, I think it depends on, on poker greatness. We, um, we actually had an interesting discussion on our podcast a couple of weeks ago that there's a uh, there's always been this kind of debate over like the Hendon mob um, and reporting sites like that, only reporting on your winnings and not your buy-ins and your losses. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And so it, it it paints a an incorrect picture of you as a poker player, right? So you know, just because you won six million dollars doesn't mean that you're a profitable player. You could have spent ten million winning that six million. And somebody else that's listed on Henda Mob with twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> in winnings uh, could have done it with one buy in, right? So, so part of that discussion was was really uh, one: why does it matter? But two, it, you know, it depends. And part of it is some poker players love the limelight, um, they love being on TV, they love the endorsements. But there's quite a few out there that don't actually, and that's what's interesting about our game. You, you tend to think that all poker players are salesmen or saleswomen. Ah, but see. see I- there's quite said, a lot that just love to be in the in the shadows, you know, cash yeah, and check, right? For sure. So. And it's an intangible thing, this thought of greatness. And I guess more so is what does it mean to you personally? When you think of poker greatness, who's the first poker player that pops in your head? Uh, that's going to be Doyle Brunson, I think. I just think he's done everything. I don't want to say everything right. No, no one's ever done anything right. But, but I like how he came. And, you know, he, he, he was a poker player back before – it was cool to be a poker player back when it was super dangerous to be a poker player on top of that, who was able to get through all that. Right. And then, um, uh, and then became a successful author, um, and has kept himself relevant, uh, all these years, you know, um, 
And think about, I mean, I, I know some people might question that because he's Doyle freaking Brunson, right? So he, his name's not going to go anywhere. But um, there were a lot of players when we first started uh, getting involved with this game back in the moneymaker boom like everybody else did that uh, we don't hear from anymore. We don't see. We don't know where they are. So to be able to stand that test of time, it's not just built on the fact that, you know, he won two world titles. Um, it's, it's that the he comes across as a, as a genuine guy and, um, and kept himself relevant. You know, he's, he had an online site for a while. He's an author. He still made it on TV at times. Um, but, uh, to stand the test of time in this game, I think that's where you get into greatness. I mean, we talk a lot about the hall of fame. Uh, you have to be 40 years old, um, to get in it. And I'm not debating that at all, but, but I'm curious, um, whether there's some folks that get in the hall, either are now or will get in the Hall of Fame in the future right around that 40th birthday that flame out spectacularly by 45 or 50 and years later no one remembers who they are so longevity that's probably that's a long long way of saying longevity <laughs> <laughs> a 500 word answer meaning yes. longevity I, I need it. an editor sometimes yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean Doyle Doyle uh, makes all the sense in the world to me. I love Doyle. Super System was the first book that I read that resonated with me way back in 2003. And like you said, Super System was not written in 2003. It was it was published way before that, way before the moneymaker boom. And to be around, to be on high stakes poker, to be on Poker After Dark, uh, he's in his 80s now. I, I do think that that is, it's pretty much the epitome of poker greatness, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, part of the point I didn't make is that the game has changed so much in, in 11 years I've been involved with 14 years I've been involved with it. It certainly has changed a lot in the 60 years or so that Doyle has been a part of it. And, and it's a game that we, we all know this, we need to adjust with it as it, as it changes, you know, you can't keep playing the same game you played when you learned. So, and now the game is so, so much more mathematical than I think it was in the past. Uh, so much of it is is designed in people's minds where they know the right play at the right time because they can calculate that math quickly. Um, that that some of those players in the past, when it really was a, a play of the people and not the cards kind of game, uh, never really adjusted to that. So, um, and I think it's important that that you have the skills to adjust. And I love nothing more than that. Again, I'm an older guy now, I'm 47. I'm not old, but I feel old when anytime I'm at the poker table, right? I mean, all of our world champions are 20 in the twenties now, except for this last one. But I love when I'm at a, when I'm watching one of my tournaments and there's a player at the table that's 60s, 70s and is right in there mixing it up with those young kids and, um, and being successful at it because that's somebody that I know has changed his game uh, and been able to change his game. And probably that means he's going to be able to continue with changing his game as long as he plays. And, and when you're talking about greatness, again, that goes back to it. There's, there's just being able to – this poker is going to be completely different five years from now than it is now. Completely different. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know it's going to be completely different. So. It's probably going to be different depending on the arena that you play in, whether – if you're playing online, it'll be different in six months to a year. Oh, yeah. I can Absolutely. guarantee. Absolutely. Uh, because that's the arena that I battle in, and I, I just – I've seen it over and over and over again. And what you mentioned about the older folks, uh, you know, Doyle, it's adaptability and it's humility. And I think that this is something that gets gets lost on a lot of poker players to humble yourself enough to say, to ask the the simple question, you know, am I doing enough? Has the game changed? What do I need to do to keep up? What what work do I need to do? I, I see a lot of folks 
I've seen it both ways. You know, I've seen the old guys that stick to their guns, never adapt, never change, and they always flame out. The game passes them by and they don't even realize what happened, right? They, they believe, they're so convinced that they know the right way that they refuse to adapt and they always get crushed. It always happens. And, you know, you're 47, I'm 35. I look at those lessons because I've seen them firsthand and I always ask myself those questions. I'm always asking myself, am I doing enough? What do I need to do to get better? How do I improve on a daily basis? Yeah, you have to. If you don't, then you're just not going to survive. You have to continue to to think about it. I mean, people say you have to continue to study and work at it, but study and work at it are, are different for every everybody. But you, I think you need to, you have to have the mindset of every day trying to learn something new. What does your process look like for regularly improving your game? Um, quite honestly, we, I, I, one of the funny things that Chris and I have always said for the last 11 years is um, because people will come up to us all the time and they're like, oh, wow. And people outside the poker world, and they ask us what we do for a living. And they're like, oh, wow, you must play a lot of poker. And uh, our longstanding joke has been that we've uh, we quit our jobs to start a poker magazine to play less poker. But it's really the truth. You know, we at the beginning of starting the company, we didn't have the time to play anymore. And now we've kind of, um, our, our lives are different. We're in different places now. So, you know, Chris has got hobbies outside of poker. I've got a lot of hobbies outside of poker. So I generally really only play uh, when I'm at my events now. Um, still happy with my level of play at them. Uh, still cash pretty regularly in tournaments. Um so really my kind of adjustment and how I continue to get better is just being involved in this poker world still, you know, you know, we, we, uh, talk to our strategy columnists, I read their columns when they come in the magazine, you know, obviously preparing for our, our poker cast every week, we do a lot of reading, you know, and then, you know, when I'm on site at, at events, I, I talk to players a lot, you know, they're, they're interested in talking to me about Andy up and what's going on. And I'm also interested in hearing their, their poker journeys and watching them play and hearing them tell me about it. So um, I've become a better player just because of being in this in this world. And, and you touched on the podcast too. And in my conversation with Jackson Lasky, he mentioned that the, the most high impact thing he does is teaching other people because it forces him to learn and oh, grow as a player himself. So just doing your poker podcast, I would imagine you can't help but grow, especially when you have a deadline and you don't want to sound like a freaking idiot. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> One of the the, uh, the features of our podcast that's most popular is, is the end of it when we do what's called Hand of the Week. And um, uh, one of our, it's always a hand from one of our listeners. And most of our listeners are just like us, recreational players. I assume we've got some decent players that listen to us, but most of them are, are recreational weekend warrior kind of players. So, um, and they send a hand into us and ask us to break it down. And anytime you're, you're breaking down a hand and you know, there are people listening to you talk about it. So it's not just Chris and I at the poker room or in our living rooms talking, we're talking to 12,000 people about how, how we would play this, this hand. You do have to slow down your thought process and think, and, um, uh, not that I, I, I worry about looking stupid because I look stupid on the show all the time, but you don't set out to look stupid, right? So you want to try to think it through and, and make sure you make the, um, understand everything that's happening on that hand and be able to communicate it to folks. So uh, that's probably the, the biggest thing for me is that once a week for 14 years now, we've taken a hand and 
really slowed it down. And that, that part of the podcast takes 20, sometimes 30 minutes um, to, to talk about a hand that was over in two minutes. Sure. Um, so I think it is really amazing how much you learn from that. Um, and then having somebody else to bounce it off of, you know, it's not just me talking into a mic and hoping people listen, it's me debating with Chris about how we would play and our styles have always been different. And so it's always interesting on hands when we, we agree because we, we worry if something went wrong, <laughs> we're not supposed to agree because we, we play completely differently. But having that, that, uh, that challenge, you know, when you say, Hey, I would have uh, raised the, uh, the 4,000 there and having somebody immediately say, no, that's horrible. Why, why would you raise there and reopen the bedding? And then, then you have to defend your idea or you have to um, acknowledge, Hey, you know what? That's a good point. You, you were right. And I was wrong on that. That's, you, that's probably a better way of playing that hand. So you need that, that challenge too to challenge your thought process, to challenge your motivations, to challenge your why behind each and every action that you take. And if you can't verbally explain it, then it probably means that you got some work to do in that specific yeah. part of the decision tree. I'm always envious because uh, most of the time I'm traveling by myself. So Chris, Chris doesn't travel very often. And of course, I've got friends everywhere I go. But, but I am envious of the folks that, um, that really take their poker more serious than we do, that, that, that do travel and play a lot of places. And they do that with, with buddies. Because when you think about it at the table and you make a bad mistake, you know, maybe you, you raised wrong there or too aggressive against a player that played back at you or whatever it is, it's obviously important to, to stop and, and, and try to process that as quickly as possible and try to make an adjustments to your game. But to be able during that break to, to go find your buddy and say, Hey, Oh my God, I played this hand so horribly and to go through and have, have them give feedback immediately and maybe give you that different way of looking at it. Um, I think that's, that's gotta be a great benefit. So I, I'm definitely envious of those folks. And I know there are a lot of them out there. It's, it's massive, massive value having somebody to bounce those ideas off of. Uh, I know that I wouldn't be the player that I am today had I not had my own, my friend who played at a high level uh, teaching me and constantly questioning everything like to the level that most people would be super annoyed, but I just loved it. I love being challenged on every decision that I made because it forced me to think deeper and go deeper than I otherwise would have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even in poker and life, you know, talking to folks uh, that disagree with you, one of two things is going to happen. Either your your opinion is going to be uh, reinforced or you're going to see a different way of looking at it and may change your mind and make yourself um, a better person going forward. So there's never, never anything to be scared of, of having somebody question you or challenge you on those things, I think. 100%. And another little side benefit, I'll tell a quick story. Um, Cause it's my show. I can do whatever I want. No. <laughs> um, I'll tell a quick story here. Uh, I was playing in the Bay area at the matrix casino and I went there with my friend Tango. We both played the uh, 10 and a quarter, no limit cash game. And we were playing and, and before we got into the game, we had, there was a, a player milling about and Tango said his name's Zach and Zach is super aggressive. He's like, yeah, you'll love Zach. He's super, super crazy, super aggressive. I would get it in preflop for 5k against Zach with Queens and wouldn't even think twice about it. And, and, you know, these things happen. It's just like, okay, like, you know, I just, we, we have the conversation. It's like, okay, go sit in the game. About 30 minutes in, I get Queens 
<laughs> and Zach three bets me. I four bet him. He shoves. And I asked Zach how much he started with. And he tells me 5,000. And like Tango's at the table. I look at him and I just smile. <laughs> and I, I call. And uh, we run it out twice. And the first, he asked me if I had a pair. Um, I'm like, yes. He's like, uh, okay. The first board just completely bricked off. He had nothing. The second board, the flop was like Jack 10, eight. And he's like, I have a pair plus a straight draw. And then it bricked out and I scooped it. And, uh, <laughs> after the hand, I, I went and talked to Tang and I'm like, wow, like that's uh, pretty serendipitous that yeah. you say those exact words and then the exact situation happens. Poker's <laughs> um, crazy like that, isn't it? And it's very, it. very, very odd. What is up, you future star of poker, you? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're sitting there wondering, why? Why is Coach Brad promoting this PKC Poker app thing? Allow me a moment to explain my why. Battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years. It's how I survive and put food on the table, which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I've tried almost all the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, I've come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find amazing success against seemingly weak competition, and in one specific case, was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What the heck was going on? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub, wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and super using their pants off. So I swore off those free money, decentralized devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the vice president of worldwide operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed a level playing field to return to my crushing weights. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play poker somewhere. And I wanna be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no brainer. I love my community and I wanna put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to enhanceyouredge.com PKC and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's enhanceyouredge.com slash PKC. Best of luck, and now, on with the show. Let's go, go back to a little earlier in the conversation when we were talking about the Hall of Famers and guys flaming out. Yeah. In your experience, have you seen anything that separates those one-hit wonders with the pros who can sustain their results over time? 
I, I would suspect, I, I can't say this for certain, but I, I, I would suspect it, it's a lot what we talked about during the show about having that humility and an understanding that if, if you're a pro poker player that you are on the roller coaster ride of your life, there's no way around that, right? At least if you're in, in the public uh, realm, you know, again, like I said, there's a lot of folks that we don't know about that are probably banking a, a nice living playing ABC somewhere in the casino and be happy with it. But the ones in the public realm, you know, you're on that, you're on that roller coaster ride. Um, and it's harder now because, you know, back right into that boom, there was a lot of money in the poker world um, in terms of endorsements, um, products, all that kind of stuff that you could supplement your income with outside the table. And that, that's, tough to find these days only a few can do that so that means you actually have to win <laughs> at the table and we all know how difficult that is no matter how good you are there's there's so much variance in this game so especially in tournaments oh absolutely in tournaments uh especially the, the extra cost involved in tournaments and travel and all that stuff and right wear and tearing your body but so yeah i, I think it's it, it's that that ability to say hey i'm going to go in there and i am top of my game now but I know I'm not always going to be at the top of my game. Uh, there's going to be a, a rough patch I'm going to hit at some point. And instead of getting angry about it, um, just accepting it before it happens and then build yourself back up. So I'm always more impressed with the, with the players that have, that, have, that have hit that eventual flame out, which most do, and then have been able to work themselves back. I think the ones that uh, don't make themselves work themselves well back not all that impressive. I mean, here I am as somebody that's my biggest tournament ca- cash is two thousand, uh, $2,200, right? So I'm not casting judgment on these people that have won six, six, seven figure paychecks and then disappeared. But, but they just didn't have that fun. They didn't have that ability to have that longevity because they just probably weren't able to accept failure and accept that this is a game that you're going to fail quite a bit. Even in the middle of a tournament, even a tournament you win, think about how many bad players you make how many hands that you could have played better and and then how many times you got lucky because you got to get lucky. Right. So, you know, even in that small microcosm of one tournament or one cash game session, if you're not able to come back from those failures, you're, you're just not going to make it. Mental toughness, always mental toughness in the poker arena, because you do fail. I've never myself played a perfect session where I didn't pick out multiple mistakes that I made in the session just doesn't happen. There's always room for improvement. So once again, we can sort of go back to uh, humility, right? Being yeah, I won a, um, uh, one of my NA events this summer. I won a horse title, which was uh, exciting. That was my, my big $2,200 cash. That, um, but, but we talked about it on the show, and that, that was probably the most complete tournament I put together where I just felt like everything was clicking for me. But even in that, um, there was one hand that I just felt I played absolutely horribly. And it's interesting when you get down to the end and you win and you're excited about it, but you still can't let go of that one hand that I'm like, I'm like, it wasn't a perfect day because that one hand was so spectacularly horrible. And I'm <laughs> the old... that I was able to, um, recover from that and continue on. So, all right, I'll buy it. What's the hand? Let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, hand. no, I knew you were going to ask me that now. And I can't remember it. Uh, <laughs> you set it before. up. You're the one that set it I up. Know, I, know, I can't me. remember the details now, but I remember very clearly, uh, talking about on the show that, that day that I was like in the middle of this, I was riding high on it. And, um, I mean, it's a horse tournament, so it wasn't uh, like where I overbet because you can't win the tournament. But probably, um, you, you know, on those days when you feel very invincible at the table or things are going right, then you start to – this is what the difference between great players and good players is that you start to loosen up a little bit and think you're invincible. Um, and I think those great players always know that they are not invincible, that 
that any hand could could beat the David versus Goliath. So, um, so I, I'm pretty sure that, that that the situation was a hand like that where I um, probably probably in one of the stud variations because those are always the the money suckers in horse tournaments, and uh, just went to the end thinking that I had had the nuts and found out I had not even the bronze medal in the hand. Uh, <laughs> how did, how did it feel after you lost that hand? How'd you recover? Well, yeah. I, so I think the problem there is that, um, I was playing so well, so early in the tournament feeling really good. You get that high where you're like, okay, um, I'm going to make it through this. And that one hand like brings you back down to earth. I mean, I wasn't below average stack or anything because I had so many chips, but you're like, oh my gosh, I just spent four hours building up the stack, playing everything in my mind perfectly. And that one mistake. And I'm like, then you just, you kind of want to push that rewind button. And there's not a rewind button where you go back and I'm like, I just should not have gotten involved in that hand, or I should have got out of that hand as soon as I knew the situation was bad and you can't. And that fact that you can't, that's, that's the toughest thing I think for poker players is real. You can't go back. I'm like, I even play like a little, uh, I play a little $20 home game here in my, in my town every once in a while against players who are just beginners just, it's just fun just can't get out and, and talk and have a beer right and um there are um moments in that where i'm like gosh I should, <laughs> it was just so horrible i wish i could have it back and i look and you look at the player across the table with all your chips right and he's stacking your chips There's nothing worse in poker There's nothing better in poker than stacking chips nothing worse in, in poker than watching somebody else stack your chips <laughs> and then you're like you just want to reach over and grab them and take them back. I'm like, you don't deserve those. That was a bad play on my part, and I shouldn't have made it. And those chips should still be in my stack, but they're not. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think in, in that situation, I was able to very quickly realize how bad it was and and double down and, and tighten up a little bit until I got back to my mojo. But that's probably a good a good adjustment to make. It's easy to yeah. get on the slippery slope of trying to chase or get back what you just lost. And you always have to keep in mind that that's gone. Those chips are no longer your chips. Your situation is what it is now. So you have to adjust and uh, just move forward. That's all yeah, you have forward. control of. Biggest biggest mistake I think poker players make is that is that uh, just giving up when they lose a big hand. I mean, how many times do you see a, a really big hand, uh, the guy loses it, even if he played it well, right? Because that river comes or whatever. And then the next hand, they just throw their chips in on some kind of like eight, six offsuit or something. And then they're out. I mean, why, why would you do that? Why? You, What's you, the scenario where you're shoving with eight, six in most cases, almost never. And, and then that was just an emotional thing. You thought your tournament was over. And then you, you, you made that, made that statement true. <laughs> you ended your tournament rather than buckling down and saying, Hey, all right, I'm still in this thing. And uh, you know, that chip in the chair, it's not a, not, not a saying that, that that's true. So that that is the definition of <laughs> mental weakness, right? They're just punting. Yeah. Um, they're punting and giving up. And I can say with complete honesty that I've always been a fighter. I've never I've never wanted to give up. Like I've always wanted to be in the arena battling and doing the best that I can, try to be optimistic moving forward. Regardless, um, if you if you're in the tournament, you have a chance. And if you're not in the tournament, you don't have a chance. So all you can really do is make great decisions and uh, the chips will fall where they may. Yeah. Well, my, um, a lot of my listeners have nicknamed me the short stack ninja because I, I tend to have a short stack a lot because I'm not very good. <laughs> so, but, but, but I, I like that scenario. I mean, I, obviously I would prefer to have more chips. Everybody would, but, but I, I think poker for me is a lot more exciting when you, you're on that, that near death and having to dodge 
every hole like Indiana Jones. And, you know, if you miss one, you're out. And to be able to run that gauntlet and get back and build your stack up and get back in it, that, that's when poker is super fun to me. I think that says so, a lot about who you are. You like a challenge. You rise yeah, to the it's, challenge. it's a much bigger challenge, I think, at that point because every every decision is magnified than when you start with 30,000 chips or something and the blinds are 25, 50 or something ridiculous like that. Where, sure. You know, and most disciplined hands, the most you're going to lose at that time is 1,000, which is nothing, right? So, but but when you have to make that decision about is this the hand I shove with or not or, or, or looking around the table and um, – monitor your base chip stacks and know where the blinds are and know who's at more peril than you are. And so, Hey, I'm going to fold this ACE now, even though I've got five big blinds. That, that's what makes it really fun for me. I think and it's unfortunate because you shouldn't want, you shouldn't want to be in those scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really fun to have a mountain of chips and just dominate too. I think both, both sides are pretty fun. Um, in my, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. I just have more experience with the other side. So <laughs> maybe someday <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I more think most, I think most people do. Um, it's quite hard to run up a giant stack in a tournament. It doesn't happen. doesn't happen super often. What's some poker advice that you hear that you completely disagree with? Well, I, I think probably to, to some extent it's, it's what we, we just talked about the, um, God, there should be a better way to come up with this, but, um, one of the things we do talk about on the show, and I don't know if it's advice that people give, but it, it's something that I, I try to reinforce with our listeners is, uh, small blind play because so many people will chuck that extra dollar in a one, two with the absolute garbage hand or whatever it is in the tournament. And when they write us their hand of the week, they say, well, uh, it's a discount. And I always tell folks um, just because it's a discount doesn't make it a deal. When you get involved in the hand that you shouldn't have and the absolute worst position, you end up making a lot. You put yourself in a situation where you've, you're going to make a lot more mistakes. Um, you know, it's the position is everything argument is one that I absolutely agree with. <laughs> and now you're, now you're involved in the worst position just because you thought it was cheap and you might hit that lottery ticket. Um, and that's really what it is, right? You know, when you, when you've got four deuce in the small blind, you're hoping to hit a lottery ticket. And if you're hoping to hit a lottery ticket, uh, you shouldn't be at the poker table ever, right? Because uh, poker is not about lottery. It's about making the best decisions. You can go go to the convenience store anytime you want and drop a hundred bucks on lottery tickets if that's what you, <laughs> you want to do. So, uh, but when I buy in for a one two game with a hundred bucks, um, I, I tend to walk out of there with uh, with more than I came into. So. I'll say that I half agree. I half agree with that. Okay. Uh, the part that I disagree with, I am a big believer about getting a good price pre flop. Uh, pot odds are a real thing. Post flop equity is a real thing, and you're absolutely right about being out of position throughout the whole hand you're at a disadvantage um however the part of your game that people ought to work on if they do want to play out of the small blind when getting a good price and getting good pot odds is their ability to make decisions in multi-way pots and Mm -hmm. just to discern bet sizes to discern betting patterns to discern physical tells just an overall mastery of post-flop skills Uh, If, if you can invest the time and energy into working on that aspect of your game, then I have no problem limping from the small blind with whatever, but the four years off. Let's be honest. If you're going to become a good poker player, you need to be able to play every position 
and not give up on hands. Um, so I absolutely agree with where you're going with that. Part, part of my experience is most of our, our listeners and readers are recreational players that sure. don't have those skills. But Scott, so. it's so much fun to play hands. It's way, <laughs> it's it's way more fun to play hands. It right? is. It is. And it's so <laughs> not fun to lose all your uh, with four dudes. So, yeah, no, I was, I was just clarifying that that's kind of the frame of reference a lot of sure. my discussion with poker is, is that those are the folks that, we, that we're talking to. Absolutely. So, no, we try, to, we try not to tell them not to do stuff so they don't learn because you want, want to be able to learn. There's a lot of our listeners that don't want to just become the best player in their home game. They actually want to go on and get those big scores, right? So I don't want to discourage them from that, but I want them to be honest about um, what's going to happen before they get that skill set. So we do a lot of stuff on our show where we qualify, hey, um, yeah, this is a situation where you can get a little bit out of hand uh, as long as you you have a plan for what you're looking for and get away from it after that and not re rewrite a script after it to, to make it uh, more exciting for you to stay in that hand. Right. Sure. You're right. Absolutely. We want to play hands. That's the problem is, is, you know, all right, well, I'm going to, uh, I got Jack 10. I'm in this for the straight and then it ends up with the middle pair Jack. And then you're like, okay, well I've got a chance of spiking that 10. <laughs> so I'm going to say in, right. And that's, that's, that's bad poker at that point. Cause now, now you're just, you're looking for a reason to stay in when you shouldn't. So I didn't um, drive an hour to the casino, get stuck in traffic exactly. to fold my four dudes off right. to not play hands. Right. I want to play. Um, so that, that's more of our lesson is that, uh, you know, avoid, avoid those hands that, that put you to test that, that are above your skill set at that point. And in the, um, you in know, the context the of your you show, learn a lot by sense. watching poker too. Right. So, I mean, that's one of the arguments I think people tell me is that, well, I need to play and make mistakes. Uh, which we talked about at the beginning of the show, you, you do need to make mistakes. You learn from mistakes, but you can also learn from other people's mistakes. You know, when you're not in the hand, if you, and, and this is a big thing, I think a lot of pokers miss out on, players miss out on, I, I'm with them on it, uh, is not paying attention to the action when, you've, when you're not in the hand, when you folded and, and watching that. Because at that point, I think you'll learn a lot more of them because when you're in the middle of a hand, you've got to think about what you're doing and how much you're going to bet. And it's your chips and your cards. Um, when you're out of the hands, there's, there's there's no risk for you anymore, right? So uh, so now you can actually sit there and, and think about if you're in that spot, what you would do with whatever cards you have. And that's when you really start to learn more. And to your point, uh, you know, poker, you do need to know what your players do with their tendencies and all that kind of stuff. And that's yeah. where you pick it up more. It's ultra valuable to pay attention when you're not in the hands. You can pick up physical tells. You can grab data points that you use in the future. And to allude to what you were saying about when you're involved in the hand, one one factor that is massive in cash game poker especially is there's pressure. And that pressure can cloud your judgment. Your emotions can bubble to the surface and override your logical brain. And when you're in an observation mode, you don't have that pressure anymore. That pressure is lifted. So you have a lot more clarity when accumulating data that will be valuable later on. And I guarantee 100% it will be valuable. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I I mentioned uh, not too long ago on a show, we had a a listener that lost a huge pot because he didn't see the flush hit there on the river. It's happened to us all a hundred times, right? And one of the tips I gave him, mostly because I, my cash game experience is mostly with Omaha High Low, which is my favorite game, is that in that, that game, you have to always know what the nuts are because the nuts are almost always out there. So even when I'm not in the hand, I'm watching the board and every time the flop comes down, I, I 
tell myself what the nuts are, hot, not high is and the nut low is. And I continue to do that through the hand. So that way you're less likely to miss those things when they hit and, and more in tune to the possibility that they're out there. So that helps you figure out why some people in the hand. Now that that works well for Omaha, it doesn't translate as well to hold them, but it does, I think. Yeah. And, and I, got, I got a good positive uh, re- reinforcement from that listener that that was a pretty good tip. So, but that's something you, that you learn. That's a skill you learn way more when you don't have cards in your hand. So. Sure. Very nice. You have to, can, can we just get the casinos to buy four colored decks? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, you know, when the, when the online sites started doing those and you, and, and you first you see it and it's weird because it's different. It's not, there's no reason it's weird. It's just it's different. And then you start playing with it and you're like, I really, really, really like this. And then you realize I shouldn't be playing with this because as soon as I go into a casino, you're right. Uh, it's going to be back to uh, black and red. So, oh no, I'm uh, never playing without four color deck online. <laughs> I have I've stuck my money in thinking I had the nut flush when I had a spade and a club in my hand and felt like an idiot, and that will never happen to me again. And, <laughs> and uh, for, on the history of poker, not sure if you know this, but in the beginning, all decks were four colors. Oh, um, really? No, I did not know that. But it was too expensive to print them back in the day uh, in four colors. Yeah, yeah. So they went with red and black. And somehow, you know, let's get these casinos to put the four color decks back. Like, it, you don't miss flushes when it's four colors, right? It's just so much easier to me. And I, I, I will never talk them into it because everybody associates, you know, diamonds and hearts with red. But I wish we could. Well, you've got two problems. We talk about this line or so too. I mean, I imagine there's some gaming regulations problems with that, but even if not, then you deal with, with players and, um, you mean poker players, players complain about arbitrary random things? You no, know, I know it's, it's so hard to imagine oh. that, right? Uh, it never happens, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a real, that's a real problem. Uh, anytime you're trying to change anything in a poker room. What, what's the argument there? You know, fuck a blue. <laughs> yeah, I don't no, like I blue. Get out of here, blue. like things that the way they always have been. Now, I, I go to the Poker TDA Summit every year. I mean, every it's every other year. I, I've been to the last probably five of them now. And um, they're all the same in the sense that the argument isn't what's right or wrong. The argument tends to be what are players going to, how their players going to react to it. Because yeah. they've always done it this way. Um, and trying to convince them that, yeah, this is better. Big Blind Annie is a huge example of that, right? Um, yeah. There's absolutely no reason that we should never not use the Big Blind Annie now. It's just a beautiful um, um, invention. But, you know, the reason play, the only reason players can really give you an argument against it is, well, that's not the way it, it used to be. <laughs> I'm used to it this way. Yeah, and that's that, a bad that's argument. Good. But that being said, if I'm a poker operator and my uh, bosses are watching how much revenue I bring in and, you know, I'm doing something that players are uncomfortable with and they're going somewhere else, that, that's a problem. So I, I'd imagine that that would be the same thing with the, the four color deck and uh, the same thing that's going to be with the uh, with card destiny, which I think is going to be the next big issue that, that players are going to have to get past because. Well, I want to ask you, what was that card destiny? Yeah. I have no Uh-oh. idea what that is. I'll ask you about it in a second, but I, I, I want to touch on one thing before sure. I do, before I leaves my brain never to return. <laughs> um, in the online sense, like as far as uh, online marketing, online entrepreneurship, instead of having these conventions where everybody talks about how the players will react, why not just set a, one table up with a four color deck and test it? Set up one weekly tournament with the big blind Annie 
test it with your guys, get some exit interviews, ask some questions to your audience and see how they like it. If they hate it, then okay. You say the idea is not valid and we move on. If they love it and, and that reaction is completely different than what people anticipate the reaction, because like you said, before one of your failures at Annie Up was thinking that moving into the gaming arena was going to be a great move and your audience would love it. But in the end, your audience didn't accept it. They didn't right. love it, right? Yep. Um, so at the end of the day, just test these things. Uh, run some isolated tests and then record the results. And if they're awful, okay, scrap it. But if they're great, then move forward. I think that that would be a lot better than you know a bunch of people hypothetically discussing how people might feel. Right, right. And I think the best poker rooms do that. I think Aria is a real good experimenter with things and willing to put that stuff out there and try it on, on small trials and refine it. Uh, Matt Savage does that with a lot of the tournaments he runs as well, too. He does it really well. And, and there's also something to be said about being strong um, and standing up to the players that complain about it and saying, hey, I understand why you're upset about it, but this is better. So hear me out give us some time and uh, this is going to be the future. And that really was the, the struggle with big Bang Annie at the beginning. I think I, I don't think players uh, immediately jumped on that bandwagon until they actually saw them play a couple times and really understood how much better it was. And, you know, if, if you're an operator and you try it for one tournament and everybody complains and you say, all right, I'm done. I tried it. And, and it didn't really try it. Right. Well, it's, it's experiential learning too. A lot of people don't know how they react until they experience something in a live setting. So, and let's go back to Poker Destiny. What the heck is yeah. that? It sounds uh, like the card a Destiny, like yeah. video so, game. Card, card yeah, Destiny. Yeah. We, this has been a long-standing thing on our show, too, because uh, uh, Chris and I disagree about that. Chris has always been a, um, uh, a proponent of Card Destiny, and I've always thought it's kind of hog, hogwash. So the concept really is that, you know, when a, a, a card is dealt to the wrong spot at the table, People insist that that card was meant for them or that turn card was meant to be the turn card um, or the river card was meant to be the river card. The alternate is that, uh, no, it's there's complete randomness to it. That card is not seen by anybody. Knows, no one knows what it is. So why does it matter whether it's this card or the card underneath that that's the one that's going to be the one you play on the turn or the one that's going to be in your hand? And um, it, it was discussed at the TDA summit. Um, uh, pretty well this year that uh, we're getting to the the card, uh, getting away from card destiny and getting more into um, your do a random card. So it's going to make a lot of floor calls a little easier, I think. How do what is what is the difference? I'm not understanding. It, in like a, it, it sounds philosophical. How is it? It's completely philosophical. And, and Absolutely actionable. How do tournament directors use this? Um, one would be um, the. Uh, one of the new rules this year was in stud. So, um, you know, on seventh street, your, your card is supposed to be dealt face down. Right. So in the past, if it was dealt face up, um, it had to stay face up and, um, you know, you could declare yourself all in Well, they changed it now where that card gets taken back and shuffled back into the deck. And then you're, you're giving a new seventh street card face down. So that way your hand is still fair in the fact that you're playing it the way you should, which is face down, um, which is the whole essence of stud, right? That you have three cards down and four cards up, so no one really knows what you have, right? So uh, that would be an example. So it, let's say the dealer throws me my seventh street card and it's a jack of clubs. 
but uh, he throws it face up instead of face down, right? That's the card I was destined to get. <laughs> um, in the old world, I had to keep that card, and then my my how I played the hand was limited because that card is exposed. So when you talk about random card, instead, now you're taking that jack of clubs, putting it back in the in the stub, shuffling it up, and sending you another card. So you may get that jack of clubs. It may come back to you, and that and that actually happened in a tournament a couple months ago I was in, which, which was fantastic. But if not, you're getting a random card, um, and people don't know what it is now because it's face down. So you know what's the better scenario in that? Um, and that's the same. It's eventually going to get to hold them. They didn't want to make a commitment on that uh, this year, but I think we're going to get there on on turning rivers that are premature. You know, just shuffle it up, get a, a new random card. This doesn't happen in tournaments. This has always happened in cash games. This is bizarre to me. <laughs> well, it's the remedy. The remedy is going to change. Like, soon. by the way, my only thoughts on card destiny is I hate it, but <laughs> I, I hate like it. it you know, but, but players, players uh, stick with that. Players are really, um, uh, they really believe that that card was due them. And even though no one knows what it is and no one, no one will ever know what that card is supposed to be. And then you get a different card. They, they, they somehow feel that uh, the magic worlds of the world have decided that that's the card they're supposed to have. And, and, and hell or high water, that's the card they need. <laughs> well, uh, when, when yeah, your I argument contains the word magic, I think that's when uh, I start <laughs> mentally checking out. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, it's all randomness. It's unknown information. I'm actually shocked that in a cash game, if they prematurely deal the turn, standard practice is to shuffle, complete the action, and then deal a new turn. It doesn't just the turn doesn't just stay, or the river doesn't just stay. right. But in those cases, they'll bring the river card out as a turn, and then that then they'll shuffle before the, the the river, so that way they they keep again. That's one of the destined cards, right? So it was destined for a different spot, but now it was destined for the board, and people want it on the board one way or the other. And gotcha. Well, I'm yeah. on your side. I I hate no, just no. Uh, I believe in randomness. All yeah, you randomness. do a random card. You're doing random. Two random cards in your hole. That's that's the only thing you're doing. So. Right, exactly. So if you were to gift the Chasing Poker Greatness audience one book, what would that book be and why? Oh, one book. Um, um, let's see. I got to get the title right because I confused it. But um, uh, Winning Omaha A Poker from Mark Tenner and Lou Krieger has always been my favorite book uh, for Omaha A players. Um, obviously, not Omaha A player. You're probably not going to enjoy it very much. But <laughs> that in uh, winning Will Live and Hold'em from Lee Jones, I learned a lot from that um, early on. Again, I I prefer to be, uh, play limit. I know I'm, I'm 47. That makes me sound like I'm Woo. 77, right? But yeah, um, fossil limit poker. <laughs> but you do learn a lot of those, even that that, that can translate to no limit. Uh, I mean, obviously, we, we talked about Super System. I mean, and those books are fantastic. The Full Tilt Strategy Guide that I don't even know if you can get any more um, outside of used on eBay. I thought I learned a lot from that. So there were a lot of books uh, back in the day I thought that were really good. But um, I'm really a bigger fan of the fundamental books rather than I'm of advanced strategy because I think that's most players – again, I talk to a recreational audience, right? So most players in a recreational audience are going to learn a lot, much, a lot more from fundamental books than they are from some pro telling them how – um, he or she is one millions because you know if you don't have that style of play that that pro does, then, then that the, the, those tips are probably not going to work for you. But a fundamental book is going to work for everybody. And, and I've said it a million times, but I'll say it a million and one. If you want to improve your poker game, work on the fundamentals, work on the decisions that you encounter 
multiple times every single session. Do not spend 30 minutes breaking down a hand that happens once every two lifetimes. It's not efficient. It doesn't do anything to improve your game. Work on decisions that are early in the decision tree that happen over and over and over again. Those are the things you want to master, especially being a recreational player. They're going to, um, those are the things that are going to improve your game dramatically over a short period of time versus worrying about, you know, bet three betting the river in a three bet pot. Uh, yeah. One of the things that we always say on our hand of the weeks are that we, we, we try not to be result, result, results oriented. Um, we're not looking at how we could have won that hand. We're looking at how we could have played that hand better. But we, we've spent a fair amount of time reminding folks this particular hand is never going to happen again. Uh, you're not going to have the same seven guys at the table. You're not going to have the same cards in, on your hand. You're not going to have the same chip stacks. So this hand will never happen again. So when you're analyzing that hand, what you're really looking for is um, strategies to play scenarios like that better in the future. So And even so, if... Even if you were in a same situation where everybody had the same chip stacks, everybody had the same cards, same exact situation, uh, the player to your left may not have just lost a monster pot, and now he's mentally in a different place than he otherwise would be. Maybe he didn't sleep well at night. Like you know, there are a million oh, factors yeah. that emotional factors that can also change even in identical situations. Mike Caro calls it the the law of loose wiring, where yeah. players in identical situations often don't know what they're going to do until right before they do it. It's somewhat of an arbitrary decision. Um, Well, even if you're playing with the same group of guys and I go to a lot of casinos where that 10 AM crew, right. is the same eight guys every day, (laughs) coffee coffee and newspaper guys. So even if it's the same guys, you're right. There are things that are going on in their lives and they may not be talking about a table that makes them different that day. So I, I may have Brad locked down. I may have you, I know all your moves and all that, but the night before you, something bad happened or something great happened and next day you're feeling different and then, uh, then you play different. So, um, you know, you, you can't always bank on that. I mean, we've had a couple of hands that I think are great where people say, I I've seen this guy make this move 10 times. And so I, I knew he didn't have it. So I called him with, jack high or something and he turns over two pair and yeah so you'll never never truly know what somebody has at that point stay alert stay alert pay attention when you're not involved in hands collect the data and use the data don't get lazy get off your stupid phone yeah Um, stop watching espn pay attention to the task at hand absolutely Um, what's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart it's kind of a weird but we we uh, we, we just launched our new website, uh, which needed to be um, uh, terribly, terribly updated for years. Um, so we're excited that that's finally complete. It took us longer than we wanted to. Um, so now we're now it's it's we launched it about a month ago, actually. Um, Congrats. Nice. So thank you. Um, so we're still making some adjustments to it. Um, so, you know, engaging new analytics and deciding where to take it from there but um from there though we, we are going to start working more on, on regional uh highlighting our regional coverage which has always been our our, our calling card uh, we're the one true news poker magazine out there and we do segment it based on regions so you know if you only play in the south then um that may be the only region you care about seeing stuff in so 
we're going to be working on some new um, regional guys that will be digital. You know, obviously we're. So you have a different guys. magazine for like how many editions do you have? Yeah, right now we have the one print magazine that we always have. So what we're looking to do now is in a digital version, not a print version, but a digital version, doing um, five additional ones. Um, it'll have a lot of the same content. It's not going to be uh, new content. It's just going to be packaged differently, repurposed um, yeah. to focus uh, the folks that you know maybe not want to have to sift through sixty pages. They only want to sift through sixteen. So, um, and that's something our advertisers have asked us for as well too. So. We'll see whether it uh, works out. Um, you know, the regional gaming guys were sending our advertisers <laughs> to support <laughs> and decided that they uh, didn't, didn't like it. So we'll see. But but definitely, like everybody else, we, we've we've been cognizant over the last couple of years that uh, of the the need to transition away from print to more digital and online stuff, and that's what we've been working on. So in lots of different ways. So, but that, that's the biggest way so far. Awesome. Best of luck. That's uh, thank you. Appreciate it's it. a big big challenge, and. I think I think you guys will do it. Um, just coming out of this conversation, I think that uh, y'all will make the transition very well and uh, move forward. Thank at you, the, sir. No at the end of the day, what would you like your legacy in poker to be? How would you like your community to remember you? Um, I, I think what we talk a lot about is the fact that we, when we started our magazine, again, it was focused on Florida, uh, Florida poker players and Florida poker rooms. And we realized probably within a year that, that the niche wasn't Florida. The niche was recreational players and everyday players, which, you know, I don't know what the estimates really are, but we've always estimated uh, 90, 95% of the poker players, right? So it's the vast majority, we could say, of poker players, right? And the fact that that we, we gave them a, uh, a magazine that appealed to them and not pros, that we gave them a podcast that appealed to them and not pros, uh, that we gave them uh, poker cruises that appealed to them and not pros, a poker tour that appealed to them and not pros. I, I think all those things, um, uh, I you know, uh, we, we try not to be arrogant in what we do. We, we're just happy to that, that people keep uh, listening to our show and reading our magazine, but but I, I don't. I don't think there's, you're going to find too many people that have done more for recreational poker in these last eleven years than, than Chris and I have, and, and Annie up. So um, I certainly hope that would be our legacy: is that um, letting those players feel feel special. When I, lo- I love that, I love that. That's that's awesome. And you're serving your audience, and you're serving your community by giving them those spaces that are, you know, somewhat free of pros because. This allows them to succeed. It allows them to thrive, increases their ROI when they go on one of your cruises. And uh, I, I think that they, they're appreciative of that. Appreciate it. Oh. Final question. Um, mm-hmm. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the interwebs? That would be antiupmagazine.com. And again, like I said, it's a brand new website. So when you get there, let us know um, what you think of it, what we could do a little bit better. We, we certainly have more plans to um, add to it, but we wanted to um, uh, really kind of reimagine what information we want to present to you on the line. We had a lot of content over um, 11 years, and so we pared back some of it on there and highlighted some other ones. So, um, again, very, very, we've always been a company that's been very eager for feedback and we've made a lot of changes in all of our products based on that feedback. So, so yeah, definitely check out andyatmagazine.com and, and, uh, let us know what more we could do, um, for the poker community. We'd be happy to. 
Do you hear that, Mr. Listener? That's your call to action. Head to anyupmagazine.com. Give them some feedback so that they know what they're doing. Feedback is so important all the way around that, uh, you know, I, I would be grateful. Scott would be grateful if you had head to their website, give them some feedback. And uh, Scott loved this conversation. Thank you so very much for taking the time out of your life to chat with me. Oh, thank you very much for having us. I really do appreciate it. And it's my pleasure, sir. And until next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I also wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new platform where the games are safe and secure and the action is amazing, head to enhanceredge.com slash PKC to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's enhanceredge.com slash PKC. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.